I'm going to open with one verse, then I'm going to let you be seated. Then I'm going to draw two texts from the New Testament, very quick scriptures. Um, but I feel like the Lord has spoken something to me today that I want to help somebody with. I wrestled with this last night, laying in bed before I went to sleep. I feel like it's of the Lord. 11 and 1, 2 Samuel. And it came to pass after the year was expired. At the time when kings go forth to battle. I would like to go to the very last sentence of this. And I'm not trying to skip over scripture. I'm just trying to get to a certain idea. It came to pass when the year was expired. At the time when kings go forth to battle. That David tarried still at Jerusalem. It came to pass. When kings go to battle, that David is still in Jerusalem. You may be seated. Ephesians chapter 4 and then 2 Corinthians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 27. I know this is a little different way to draw a text. Ephesians 4 and 27 says, neither give place to the devil. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. And I would like to draw these thoughts together, if I may. Neither give place to the devil, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Now I understand that according to uh, homiletics and hermeneutics. That this is not exactly how you should draw a text. To bring things together. But the idea that I want you to understand this morning. Is that the enemy does not have the power to run your life. The only way that you will leave this house defeated today is when you allow yourself to be defeated. It is vitally important for us the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. And I want you to hear me closely today. I want you to just follow very closely with me for the next few minutes. It is vitally important that we are cognizant of the season in which we're living. The time and the season that we are in right now is the most powerful age that has ever been recorded in the world. Why do you say that? Well, because some say they'd like to live when the apostles lived. Oh, could you imagine being in the first century church? For one thing, anyone that would make that statement has never read history at all. Because I'm not real sure you would want to live when the apostles lived. Because the life expectancy of a man that was God-fearing man in that day and time was extremely short. If you were to look at how history records how many of the apostles lived to be ripe old men, it would amaze you at how many of them did not live to an old age and it wasn't because they were unhealthy. 
It was because they took a stand when they could have sat down. They were the generation that welcomed the Messiah for the first time. But wouldn't it be something if this generation would be the generation that would welcome the Messiah for his return? We live in the most powerful age that the world has ever seen. I believe that I'm in the room with men and women today that will behold the Messiah descending from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. I believe that. Anybody want to go to heaven? It is vitally important to understand the seasons. And the season that we are in right now, I believe, leads us to understand that the coming of the Lord is imminent. His return is imminent. It's not going to be very much longer. And the Lord will return. But I was on a conversation this week with uh, someone that was speaking about being raised around this church and the way that... um, Bishop Bingham used to preach, and, and Bishop St. Clair used to preach. And with that, we had a discussion concerning uh, a message. How, how many of you were around to hear Bishop Bingham preach? How many of you in this room ever heard Bishop Bingham preach? It's awesome. You and my wife and I have been married 20 years in uh, December, and she never heard my grandfather preach. It's amazing. 20 years, never heard him preach. But there was something that he would preach frequently. You would hear him say from the pulpit if you heard him preach for very long at all. Somebody is going to backslide. Somebody finish it for me. Five minutes before the rapture. Somebody is going to backslide five minutes before the rapture. It is important today that we know what time it is. I want you to ask your neighbor this morning, do you know what time it is? That's what I'd like to preach to you this morning. Do you know what time it is? Now, the scripture leads us to understand in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, for a little bit of clarity and foundation setting, I would like to draw from this text today. This is one of the most tragic stories Uh, that could be told about a godly man. We do understand the value through this story of repentance and getting back up, making things right and moving forward. But we also see very, very clearly that there are often opportunities for us to prevent things from happening in our lives that we will have to recover from If we give place to the devil. I believe that the enemy would love to keep us constantly as children of God in a stage of recovery. I believe that it is his idea and plan for us to get us distracted so much that we are constantly having to recover from wounds that would have never had to be healed if they wouldn't have been opened and they wouldn't have been opened if we would have been aware of what time it is. So, in our text today, it is the story of King David 
and his great adulterous fall with apparently one of the most beautiful women in the land. Her name was Bathsheba. Her husband was a warrior by the name of Uriah. If you've ever read the story, um, you are familiar with it. Basically, the king walks out onto the roof of the palace, looks down and sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. She is bathing and he falls and succumbs to the lust of his heart. And he has an uh, adulterous affair with her of which the product is an illegitimate child. And so he sends for Uriah who is away at, uh, at, at war. Her husband is away at war and he brings him in and tries the ultimate cover up to get Uriah to lay with his wife. So that when uh, now that she's found out she's pregnant they can just tell people well Uriah came home from the battle missed his wife. Got her pregnant, went back out in the battle and got killed. That was basically the plan. That was the thought, the intent that was happening. That was what was transpiring behind the scenes. David was uh, doing his best to live the ultimate cover-up. Why is it important for us to talk about this this morning in the house of God? It's because this is the way that sin always functions. It is never enough to just fall. But there is a spirit that accompanies the fall that says, I'll say or do whatever I have to do to cover it up. I don't understand what it is about the ways of man. But rather than just take the dose of medicine and get up and recover, it takes us a little while to let the spirit of the Lord soften our hearts. It doesn't have to be taught. We just get it. It just happens. It's that little child that you walk in the kitchen has melted chocolate chips in the corners of their mouth and crumbs on their shirt. And when you ask them, have you been eating cookies? They say, no. Like nobody ever told them to lie. They just knew it was a place they weren't supposed to be. And when you walk in places that you're not supposed to be, then you are ashamed. And when you are ashamed, you would rather just try to cover up the story and let shame cover that story instead of just telling God, I made a big mistake here. It's a big boo-boo, and I need you to put a Band-Aid on this. Let me get healed. But David covers it up. So let's talk about how it happens. He brings Uriah home, and he said, go lay with your wife. Uriah said, basically, now I'm not giving you the King James Version. This is the uh, Luke St. Clair Version. Uh, and fast forward, Uriah said, I'm not going to go lay with my wife in a warm bed when I have men fighting on the battlefield. And the Bible said that he literally laid at the threshold of the king's door all night long. And so the only way to fix this now is to send him into the heat of the battle to the front lines to kill him. And then David marries Bathsheba, connects himself with her. And uh, this is a very, very sad story. I wish I had time to tell the whole thing. But it basically ends in the tragedy of knowing that the child could not live. And the only way for there to be recovery is for David to cover himself in sackcloth and ashes to grieve for a while. And then the scripture tells us that he went back into Bathsheba 
And there she conceived and she bore Solomon, the son that later became the king, was the wisest man ever uh, according to the scripture, and he finished the work of the temple. All is well that ends well. There's a Bishop Bingham saying for you. All is well that ends well. But here is what I want you to understand is that there was something broken in this story that should have never had to be healed. I'm going to slow down for just a little bit and then I'm going to preach to you. But the scripture tells us that it was after the year was expired. At the time when kings go to battle. What does that mean? Well, it's speaking literally of when the calendar has expired and is beginning again into the month of Nisan. It was a time of new beginnings. It was in the spring of the year. It was the time when kings go to battle. The rainy season was over. The earth had dried up. New life was springing forth out of the ground. Their horses would have plenty to eat in the field. The ground would be dry so that the horses could run. And it was the time of year in the spring when kings were going to battle. But the scripture said that David tarried still in Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to preach between some scriptural lines here. The scripture can be explicit and it can be implicit. So we're going to have to look at some implicit things today and just try to figure out some timelines that are not mentioned in the canon of the scripture. But I, uh, I so enjoyed this morning uh, Brother Jordan's teaching on the feast. What, what powerful teaching we heard this morning in Bible class. And I didn't know that's what he was going to talk about this morning. So uh, a lot of this was good and covered uh, in the order of things. But in the spring of the year, as the Jewish feast come to life, why is this important? Because we are, after all, speaking of David, king of Israel. Kind of important to know what David would have been doing in the spring of the year. And we know for certain that in the spring of the year, the Passover would come. And that there David would make sacrifice and that his sin would be atoned and pushed forward for the year so we understand that the first three feasts of the lord are set apart in the season of spring in other words they transpire in the time uh, of year when the year has expired and kings go to battle another translation will say that it came to pass in the spring of the year that david tarried still at jerusalem so we know for certain that in the spring of the year were the three feasts of the Lord. Yet after the Passover or sometime around the Passover, more than likely afterward because the Passover would have already been on their mind, gone now, it's a move point. And now David feels some kind of confidence. Understand that this was a sacred time when they reflected on coming out of Egypt and sin was atoned for. But now that the sin has been atoned, David is living in a moment of confidence that was not of God because he felt invincible. David feels like my sin has been taken care of. It's been covered up. And now in his moment of greatest victory, he faces his greatest temptation Woo. I want to preach to somebody I was reading this week read these words in Jerusalem insider's guide now listen to this I quote 
Spring in Jerusalem is that fleeting two to three week period sometime in late March or April when almond trees blossom pink on every corner and blood red poppies riot in empty lots and road dividers. What's the point, Pastor? The point is that David was surrounded with new life. David was surrounded with the blooming of the almonds. He was surrounded by the blooming of the flowers and the fields turning green. He was surrounded by victory. He was surrounded by atonement. He had celebrated the feast of the Lord and now he was at a place where I'm just going to put life on cruise control and kick back. David came to the place that why would I go fight when I can send somebody else to fight and all I've got to do is kick back and relax at the palace but we find that David was not aware of the season that he was in. It was not a time for David to be relaxed and kicking back in his king's lazy boy. But it was a time for David to suit up in the armor and to lead his men into the battle. What happens when men and women get out of alignment with the seasons of God? Opportunities present themselves. Oh my God. David had the Spirit of God resting on him. He's the only man in the Scripture that the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man that understood, I believe you can tell by the things that he said, he understood the mind of God. He understood the things that God said, the things that God meant. That's powerful when you not only understand the what, but the why. David understood the why, but he got messed up on the when. And he allowed himself to get out of season. This was a spiritual time of year. It was a spiritual moment in the life of David. Why are you preaching this, Pastor? Because this church has been filled with momentum over the last couple of months. We are in a great season of blooming and growing and prosperity. And the kingdom of God is resting upon us. But I tell you it's in times just like this. When momentum is moving forward in the kingdom. And God has been moving in the hearts and the lives of his people. And you feel like you have finally set your course. And you feel like you have finally set the sail. And you've got the wind behind your back. And you're moving all right. That all of a sudden you stop and you take your guard down. And you quit believing things that you used to believe. Why is it important to push so hard when now we've got the wind at our back? Can I tell you right now? It's time more than ever that we take the wind that's at our back and we let it push us forward and we run harder than we've ever ran in our lives. Why is it important, Pastor? I'll tell you why, and I'm willing to step out on a limb and make this declaration. I believe we could quite possibly be living in the last gust of wind that the world has ever known. I believe it's time for us to set our course in the direction of the kingdom of God and to ride the wave with integrity and with the Spirit of God leading us. Why is it in our moments of greatest victory that we experience our greatest temptation? 
Now, I don't know how long it's going to take history to teach us a lesson or two here. But I want you to know what I think is so sad about history is that it always repeats itself. This church has been blessed. My family has been blessed to be connected to this church for over 50 years of ministry. Over a half of a century, our family has been ministering in this church. And I want to tell you what makes me sad is that I still bump into people today whose parents and grandparents backslid and walked away from God. And then their grandkids are backslid and walked away from God. When are we going to learn that you don't have to make every mistake that your parents made? You don't have to make every mistake that your grandparents made. And this is what I want you to know today. You're not the first person to make a mistake. And you probably won't be the last. So if you're here today and you have slipped away, I want to tell you, you're in the right place at the right time because there is mercy extended in this house right now. You are your own worst enemy when you slip and make a mistake. When you fall and, 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 and make a mistake, you become your own worst enemy. Now, I'm not, please understand, you know me well enough to know if you've been around here at all. I'm not trying to diminish nor take away from the power of sin, and I think it needs to be dealt with. But understand me when I tell you that if you'll let the devil beat your brains out over your failure, he'll do it every single time. If you'll let the devil keep you awake at night because you have failed, he'll do it every single night. If you'll let him stay in your family and stay in your home he'll do it every single time but somebody today needs to know what time it is and it's not time for the devil to have free run in your family and in your home why is it that often our biggest fails come after our moment of passover Think about this. Why does our greatest failure come? This, I, wish I, I really wish I could deal with this on a, on a deeper level this morning. But you watch people that have maybe backslid or never even lived for the Lord. And they come to God. Give their life to the Lord. Give their life back to the Lord. Walk with God. You can write it down the day that they pray through. For the next several days, weeks, and months, they're going to fight all kinds of hell. <laughs> you can guarantee it. Why is it that after our greatest breakthroughs, we fight our greatest temptation? It's because the enemy knows the seasons better than we do. Do you want me to just let you in today on why the enemy hates you so bad and why he hates the church of the living God so bad? It's because he knows what time it is. I feel like letting you know this morning that your Bible said that Satan knows he hath but a short time. You can guarantee between now and the sounding of the trumpet that the enemy's not going to get off of your back. The enemy's not going to leave the church alone. The pressure is not going to ease up. We're going to have to square our shoulders up. We're going to have to set our face like a flint regardless
regardless of what governments say, regardless of what world leaders say, regardless of what the kings of the earth say, it's time for revival. So, why is it that we face our greatest temptations and greatest failures after our moments of Passover? Why? I want to tell you, it's obvious that our adversary is involved. But just as God won't force us to do anything, he won't force us to love him. Won't force us to serve him. I want to tell you that the enemy can't force you to do anything either. And the reason, this is going to be strong, but the reason David was in the predicament he was in was not because of Bathsheba. I'm going to deal with this right here. It's amazing how we often do when we fall. We blame blame the other. Well, she shouldn't have came out then. Hang on, David. Put the brakes on. Put it in reverse. Well, she knew what she was doing. Oh, I wish I could tell you how many times I've heard it. She came walking out there, swinging them hips, moving her hair around. Got that pretty essential oil smelling shampoo going. She knew what she was doing. Had them arms just right, working, just walking. She knew what she was doing. Hey. Let's back up. Let's put the brakes on. Can we just be adults right here? If you wouldn't have been home, David. If you'd have been in your season, David. If you'd have been fighting, David. If you'd have been leading the charge, David. I know I'm preaching right now because it just got quiet. David, if you would have been where you should have been in the season, it wouldn't have mattered who walked out, when they walked out, what they looked like, or what they said. You got to know what time it is. Let me make you a promise. If your church is not making an impact at all in the kingdom, if your church is not doing anything, not growing, nothing's happening, be the easiest church in the world to go to and pastor it is how did God tell me one time I I hope this doesn't come across ugly at all I had a guy tell me one time he said man I hear you guys talking all the time about church trouble so I hear you talking about things that go on and having to pray this out and pray that out and go fast for this long and all that because you got all this going on in your church he said I don't have any of those problems. I said, well, dude, you just must be amazing. That's all I can say, you know. Can I tell you that church closed down? It did. That church name no longer exists. He's gone off the scene. He is no longer a pastor. His family's not together. Do you know why the enemy fights this church? Because he knows what time it is. Here's what I want to get in the spirit of somebody today. It is vitally important to see yourself 
as your creator sees you. Absolutely. It is vitally important to know the image in which you were created in. But second only to that today, it is vitally important for you to understand how the enemy sees you. It's important for you to know today how the devil sees you. Because if we as the body of Christ ever start seeing ourselves the way the devil sees us, we would know why he is relentless in his pursuit against us. We know. I wish you'd leave me alone. Let me tell you how to do it. Stop. Just quit. Enjoy the peace. I'm sick of fighting for my marriage. Well, then quit. Join the ranks of the statistics. You know what they are? They're statistics of people that quit fighting. It's people that would rather be able to sit in a lazy boy on the rooftop of the palace than they would to get their hands dirty. Listen, I don't have time to preach all this. But if I did, I'd preach a little bit of this right here. David, you're not going to store up one thing for the temple that the next generation is going to build sitting on the rooftop of the palace. You know that what David built the palace out of was the gold and the silver and the rubies that he had stolen from other people in battle when they ripped their land apart and God gave them the strength to conquer. You will never be a conqueror from a rooftop. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying to you that he wouldn't have had anything to put in the hands of Solomon if he would have just stayed on the rooftop. It would have never happened. At some point, kings have to put on their armor and they have to go to battle and they have to fight. But here's what your pastor believes this morning. Anything worth having is worth fighting for. What are you saying, Brother St. Clair? Let me just preach it real right now. Your family is worth fighting for. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Your relationship with God, it's, it's worth fighting for. Your children are worth fighting for. Don't you dare let the enemy wreak havoc on your kids and you not say anything. We need some old-fashioned God-fearing parents that'll still stand up and declare it'll be over my dead body that the enemy has access to my children. And then when it happens, we read this story and say, oh, can you believe how... Satan messed up David's life. You show me where Satan messed up David's life. Didn't happen that way. It happened because David forgot what time it was. God, help us this morning. We choose the path that we walk. Listen, I... I know this may sound counterproductive. I want to lift the weight off of somebody right now. Let me lift some weight off of you right now. When we get well enough spiritually and emotionally to take on the weight of what we've done and bear the responsibility of it, it makes it so much easier to be healed and forgiven. When we bear, oh God. When we bear the responsibility for our sin, well, you know, 
Pastor, I believe God could have kept Bathsheba from walking out right then. That's how. Well, you do know the just live by faith. Faith believes that God will keep temptation away from me. That's not faith. It's foolishness. Let me tell you what your Bible does say. It's often misquoted out of context. We say, you've heard people say, God will never put more on you than you can bear. That's not scriptural. But what is scriptural is when it comes to temptation, there will never be a temptation that's greater for you than what you can bear. But God will make a way. Are you hearing what I'm preaching? God will make a way of escape. The only time your Bible says that God won't put more on you than you can bear is that when you walk through temptation and the temptation gets great, you better start looking to the right or to the left because there's about to be an exit. And I want to encourage somebody. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. I'm reaching for somebody that's past exit after exit after exit. And you're on the border today standing at the edge of losing everything. God sent me here to reach for you today. It's worth fighting for. Get off the road. Let me tell you what we're not going to do. Let me tell you what we're not going to do. Let me say it again. Let me tell you what we're not going to do. We're not throwing in the towel and quitting. Are you hearing what I'm telling you this morning? There's no quit in me today. I haven't come to let you know that I'm tired and I'm going to quit and I'm going to give up. I've come to preach today to some enemy and let the enemy know I know what time it is. It's time to fight. It's so much easier to trust the arm of our flesh. Think about this now. Well, if I trust the Lord and fight, what if I lose? Okay, David, don't forget who it is you're fighting for. Matter of fact, David, go back through your history that's replete of battles. And tell me which battles it was that were lost. It was the ones where the Lord was forgotten. But when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you know what time it is. It's not difficult to put the armor on when you know that if God be for us. I'm telling you, if God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. If God is fighting for us, we're going to win. Can I take just a couple minutes right here and preach a little logic to you? Can I do that? What we can logically deduce today? I'm afraid to fight because I don't want scars. You do know the alternative is nothing but scars. If I go to battle, I might get hurt. How's it feel sitting at home? David, you don't know what time it is? Have you gotten so blessed, so prosperous, so powerful, 
so victorious that you don't know what time it is? Can I tell you something this morning, church, and you not think I'm trying to be ugly? Can I tell y'all? What last year was all about, I believe, if there's a spiritual side to what it's all about. I'm going to tell you what it's all about. It's about the Lord finding out who's watching their clock. It's about to get tough in here for just a second. The easy alternative is always sitting at home. You're dismissed. Oh, no, I'm, we're streaming right now, so I've got to be careful how I say this. I was approached. I've been approached twice over the last several weeks and months by some individuals that attend different church, different denomination, larger church, very large church. Now, the desperation came to me just last night and said to me, we kept our doors closed for so long that everybody has moved on. And they said, we have less. Now, this is a, a, a giant church. So I'm not going to throw exact numbers out. But I, I, I can tell you off camera what, exactly what they told me. But from what I understand, with the numbers that were there previously and are there now, it is less than a quarter of the people that were there before the battle. I said, where'd they go? He said, they moved on. By the time we got the doors open, it was too late. And people had moved on. Church family, listen. I, I, God have mercy. I'm trying to, just trying to preach to you my heart today. We've all been affected. It was a dark season. Glad it's getting behind us. Again, I'm glad we can travel. Thank God for it. But you listen to what I'm telling you right now. The greatest damage that has been done through this ridiculousness is not the health of people. It's spiritual health. People have been so spiritually affected because they don't know what time it is. And when the Lord came looking for warriors, they were sitting on the rooftop of the house. And you can guarantee that wherever there are rooftop dwellers, there will always be bathers. What, 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 do, do, do what, pastor? Let me preach prophetically to you. There will always be opportunities when you're not willing to suit up and get in the battle. You know what? If nothing else happened, I'm praying that God gave the church a backbone and a spine that we lost somewhere a long time ago where people wouldn't stand for anything. They wouldn't preach against anything. They wouldn't stand against politics. They wouldn't stand against the tide. They wouldn't stand against Washington. Let me tell you what I'm praying today. God, give us a backbone in the Holy Ghost that will stand against the spirit of Antichrist in the earth.
Why are you preaching this now then? Why? That's, that's pretty much behind us. Why, 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 are you, why are you preaching it now? Why in the world? Listen, I think it's interesting how quickly the government starts forgetting about mandates when it doesn't fit their agenda. It's amazing how quickly they're letting this thing disappear off the news. And while that's happening, I want to tell you what's happening to the church. We're feeling relieved. Oh, thank God that's behind us. Is it? There might be less people sick. But is the spiritual damage that's been done really behind us? I know I'm preaching. I'm walking in deep water right now. I feel it. God knows we've done our best. We did everything we could. And and I've never had one person say anything to me. Personally, I've had some people say things to other folks, and that's okay. But we did our best to keep people safe. We did our best. We did all of that. We, I, I promise to God that that was one of the most restless seasons of my life. It, it was awful. I, 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 my, my family, I got sick, and Bishop had to take me to the hospital. Y'all know I'm, I'm young, 40 this month. Bishop had me in the hospital till late one night. My heart was whacked out, throwing crazy rhythms. I'm telling you, if you if you want to just be a pastor, you ought to try it sometime. I mean, dear God, you only have to work two days a week. It's a pretty good gig. I like it because all you have to do is eat fried chicken, count money, and in the summer you play golf every day. I like it. Well, I do more than eat chicken. I go get a big Z. You listen to what I'm telling you today. It's not going to get easier between now and the coming of the Lord. The enemy is not going to quit pushing. He's not going to quit fighting. (laughs) You may have heard me say this. I don't know if I said it here or not. Thank God I've been preaching a lot, Bishop. We get to travel. <laughs> I've been preaching a lot lately. I don't know if I said it here or not. You may remember, Anna. You're like my wife. You remember everything. But Bishop McCool, Bishop Billy McCool said when COVID rolled around, they were talking about, well, if you're going to go to church, you have to wear this and you have to wear that and you have to do this. And, you know, like, and he just got up in his own way. Bishop McCool did in Knoxville and I. I'd have loved to see him do it, Dad. I I wasn't there, but they said he got up and he said, I'll tell you right now. I can just see him grabbing that lapel and throwing it back. I'll tell you right now. If I had to wear a bucket over my head to be able to go to church, I'd put a bucket on my head. Hey, I'm going to tell you all something. I'd rather cross the finish line with a bucket on my head than I would to be found on the rooftop and not know what time it is. What time is it? It's time for war. It's time to fight. If you've been slacking off and hadn't had your kids in church, it's time to get your family in the house of God. 
If you've been slacking off and hadn't had your wife and your husband in the house of God, it's time to get in the house of God. It's time to suit up and get ready to fight. It's time to roll. So why was there a mess? Okay. Here it comes. Here's my message. Why was there such a mess? Because what the devil did. No. It's because David lingered when he should have marched. Uh, David hung around the rooftop too long. Had a chance to repent then, but he didn't. Instead, he and Bathsheba committed adultery. He had an opportunity to repent then, but he didn't. When Bathsheba told David, I'm pregnant with your child, he had the opportunity to come clean and repent, but he didn't. After his botched attempt at trying to cover up his adultery he had the opportunity to repent and he didn't after David had Uriah executed he had the opportunity to repent and he didn't it was not until David was confronted by the prophetic ministry of Nathan Oh, this is a mess right here. I'm fixing to mess with somebody. I'm about to show you a principle you may have never seen. Nathan had to use the gifts of the Spirit and discernment to get David mad enough at somebody else to repent of his own sin. This is what has to happen when you always blame somebody else for the fall. Nathan came to David and he said, well, there was a rich man that had all the sheep he could ever want. But he went to this poor man that had one lamb. And he stole that man's one lamb. And he took it and he fed his family. Anybody ever read the story? He said he stole that lamb and he took it. And David said, where is he? Who is he? I'll kill him right now. And the prophet Looked down that crooked finger and looked him right in the nose. And he said, David, thou art the man. What? Sometimes God has got to let us see how foolish it looks in somebody else's life. Oh, God. David had to get mad enough at somebody that didn't even exist. To be awakened in his own spirit and say, Lord, for whatever it is that I have done, forgive me of my sin. I wish I had time to preach it the way that I'd really like to preach it. But I want to tell you that the failure and the loss of the baby and the death of Uriah is not the end of the story. For the Bible said that David went on a fast. And when he was on the fast, he looked over and saw his servants discussing one with another. And the Bible said he knew that the baby had died. And when he asked them as the baby died, they said, yes, king, 
the baby has died. And the scripture said that David got up. And he washed his face. Cleaned himself up. And he had himself a worship session. Now there's a lot of people that want to underestimate the power of worship. But I want to tell you what worship can do. When you've made a mistake. And you're as low as you've ever been. On a Sunday morning. It would amaze you what would happen if you'd come in this house and instead of hanging your head low because of the mistake you've made, if you'd raise your face toward mercy and say, Father, I've made a mistake, but I've come to worship you because of who you are. Maybe y'all don't feel what I feel on that right there. I'm telling somebody there's still enough mercy to heal you today. Bible said that he cleaned himself up, cleaned his face up, washed himself, and he worshiped the Lord. And then he got up from there and he went into Bathsheba and she conceived a son named Solomon that would finish the temple that David started storing up for. Here's the beauty of it and you've heard me preach it. But the power of this is that David had to bury that child. He had to bury the past and marry the present to produce a future. Somebody in this house today needs to understand the value of knowing that what you've been does not mean that has to be what you're going to be. You don't know how big of a mess my life is, Pastor. You don't understand what true teshuva and repentance can do in the life of a person. Do you see that baptistry up there? That's not just a little swimming pool. That's not just a little hot tub. That is the blood of Jesus where the name is evoked and your sins are remitted. (laughs) Well, if you only knew, Pastor, how bad my life was, Well, let me just introduce you to a new concept. If you only knew how good my God is. Well, my past is a wreck, but his mercies are made new every morning. Let's lift our hands to Jesus right now. I feel him trying to touch somebody. God have mercy. I feel the Holy Ghost here. I feel a rush of the Holy Ghost moving through this room right now. Before any musicians come, before any songs are sung, I want you to know these altars are open right now. I believe in the power of an altar this morning. And I believe that if you're running from your past and you're covered up in shame today, you can make your way to this altar right now. And there's enough mercy at this altar for the Lord to heal anything and everything you've been through. Come on, I feel him here right now. 